You are listening to the DOCUS podcast, brought to you by the Irish support agency New South Wales, a podcast designed to promote the mental health and well-being of the Irish community in Australia. Each month, we will explore a different aspect of mental health and well-being, guided by the latest evidence and facilitated by an expert in the field. Please support us by liking, subscribing and sharing. Enjoy the episode. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to October's episode of our DOCUS webinar and podcast series. My name is Una and I am the project officer at the ISA and I also sit on the mental health and wellbeing working group. Before we get started, I would like to acknowledge that I am hosting this webinar from the lands of the Camaragal people. I also acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which you are all watching. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. DOCUS will be brought to you on the first Monday of each month with each session exploring a, dis- a different aspect of health and well-being. All of our previous episodes can be found on the ISA YouTube and Spotify channel. If you have any questions throughout the conversation, please feel free to pop them into the chat box, but we will also have some time at the end for some questions. So tonight we will be exploring sleep and the unbelievable importance of it. This is actually our second episode um, looking at sleep, and that's just how important it is. So for some people, you may have had a poor night's sleep and you notice your mood, energy and attention span has completely depleted. Sleep plays a pivotal role in maintaining and promoting good mental health. Sleep is also a cornerstone of good physical health. It serves as the body's natural reset button allowing the brain to consolidate memories, process emotions, the immune system strengthens and hormones such as those that regulate appetite and metabolism are balanced. Chronic sleep deprivation can lead to a range of mental and physical health issues. It can also exacerbate existing conditions. Tonight, we are delighted to be joined by Emer McDermott, clinical psychologist, who views sleep as one of our superpowers. Emer, thank you so much for joining us. And I know how um, passionate you are about this topic. You're, you're, you're very welcome. So th- thanks thank for being here. Emer, can you tell us why is sleep so important to our physical and mental health? Um, well, I suppose we, we'll all know when we've had a bad night's sleep, the impact that it will have, but I suppose in general, kind of thinking about our body needing it for like physical repair and recovery um, in terms of, I suppose, our cardiac functioning. So our heart, our metabolism, like you've already mentioned, in terms of our learning, concentration, tension, um, in terms of that memory piece. So processing what's gone on during the day um, and storing it. And also, I suppose, the impact on our mood um, and our energy levels. Um, so kind of has an overall impact on probably every aspect of our um, physical and mental well-being. Um, and really, if we're not getting enough sleep, that's when we really start to notice actually the impact that it does have, mm-hmm. um, whether that's on our energy levels, um, in terms of regulating our mood, 
our anxiety tends to kind of heighten. Um, we're not able to concentrate or focus on kind of tasks during the day. And generally, that kind of overall fatigue um, that we might have. Um, and also, I suppose, those long term conditions that we might have in terms of obesity, type 2 diabetes, um, heart disease, and I suppose the impact then on our mental health. Um, and I suppose just with any of those, it is also kind of thinking about what causes one or the other. So sometimes you may have a medical condition that actually impacts on your sleep, but also um, it can be as a result of your sleep being deprived or really poor for an extended period of time that actually starts to have a knock-on impact on our physical and mental well-being. Um, so it's kind of that chicken and the egg. And I think it's something that for people who don't have any issues with sleep it's almost something that we take for granted a little bit we, we don't it's only when we we're not getting a good night's sleep that we realize how much it can badly impact on us and I know for myself it can only take one night of not sleeping well for you to notice the impact that it's having on on focus energy mood you know it, it's quite seems to be quite instantaneous the, the effects of it and those are you know just those kind of short term mm. like of one night bad or one night of bad sleep whereas if you think about that extended period of like if you're not getting a good enough night's sleep over weeks months actually the impact that that would have on your your body um and also i suppose on your brain um whereas one night sleep we generally will kind of catch up on that but yet you will notice during the day um that you might be that bit more irritable cranky not able to kind of manage your emotions in the same way we won't be able to focus at meetings um or tasks that we might be doing or even just processing it like if somebody's telling us something or asking us for something we just won't be as sharp as what we would normally be if we have a generally a good night's sleep mm -hmm. and i think when people you know I think there needs to be a little bit more validation for how you know you know of course I can understand then maybe why you're not feeling so well or you know I think there needs to be more gravity um given towards what this is actually doing for us you know same as if you say I've you know got a headache or I've got a sore tummy if someone says, look, I haven't slept well last night, like let's acknowledge that that's a genuine reason for not feeling well. Oh, absolutely. Um, and in terms of the expectations that we have of somebody when they haven't had a good night's sleep, yes. whereas exactly as you said, if somebody says, God, I have a, a migraine or have a headache or, you know, have a, a tummy ache or something, it's like, oh, you poor thing. Do you yes. want to go home or are you going to be able to yes. manage? Whereas if you've kind of had a bad night's sleep, it's just struggle on. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, can you talk us through, I suppose, the, the spectrum? Because obviously there's the one to two nights of, of sleeplessness and that might be based on, you know, a significant event that has happened or, or particular stressors. But then obviously, you know, it, it sort of steps up and up and, until you get to the, to the sort of sleeplessness conditions and the insomnias. Can you help us understand um, what that looks like and, and what when does it start to become 
a chronic sort of condition for someone? Um, I suppose it nearly all comes down to what has happened to begin with. So exactly as you said, if there is some particular stressor, if you know there's something coming up at work or something happening in your personal life or relationships or ill health, all of those things will impact on your sleep um, in terms of your stress levels, kind of worrying thoughts, those pieces. Um, and generally, you know, you might have a couple of nights where maybe you've disrupted sleep, but you're probably still getting a bit of sleep um, at some stage. And once the event has passed or whatever that stressor might be has kind of um, reduced, generally you will fall back into a normal routine with your sleep. Um, but it's where it becomes kind of persistent and consistent, where it doesn't mean that every single night you have to have a bad night's sleep it just means generally like three or four nights um for a couple of weeks up to like starting to be like months where your sleep is really disrupted so generally that would lead then to like an an insomnia diagnosis um so it has to be kind of persistent for quite a period of time um where you've difficulty either falling asleep maintaining sleep um or waking up really really early um, and you kind of have to, it's that quality and quantity of sleep that you have to be looking at for people. Um, and it is over a prolonged period of time that that's when you're kind of looking at getting a diagnosis. Um, but there, I suppose also there are lots of other diagnoses that might contribute. So whether, um, or not necessarily contribute, but also might be happening in terms of like narcolepsy, which is kind of nearly, um, daytime sleepiness, um or like sleep apnea which again is kind of um related to obesity as well all of those things kind of um have an interplay um so it's looking at what else might be going on alongside the insomnia because with like a mental health diagnosis you will also have symptoms in relation to your sleep so it'll either be um too little um, or too much where you're having excessive sleep again similar with anxiety and sometimes it's looking at well actually if we treat the cause that will have a positive impact on your sleep as well so it is it's really hard and I think that is the frustrating piece with sleep difficulties is it's not a, a kind of you know one simple solution and um, that's going to work for everybody it's trying to unpick what's happening for um, that particular person is it a one-off kind of situation or is, is this something more longstanding and what is happening that is impacting on their sleep? Because, you know, as you said, if you have not had a good night's sleep, and even one night, you will really feel the impact of it. So if that is happening to you on a weekly basis, you do feel like you're losing your mind. Um, and you kind of are losing your mind because it is not getting what it needs it is not getting that beneficial sleep so you're starting to kind of think about like oh my god like is this ever going to change i know that you've, you've some two kind of causes of, of sleeplessness and i know that there are a vast amount of um sort of you know causations or or medical issues Obviously, there's certain things that are within our control, and then there might be certain things that are outside of our control. For the things that are within our control, what are some of the sort of starter things that we could be looking at um, in terms of, you, you know, you mentioned routine there. 
um, you know, I know we all have might have good intentions for integrating healthy habits. Um, but, you know, just to give a, an indication of what, what are the, the some beginning things that we could, could look at? Um, I suppose like the thing that we all don't want to talk about, but um, <laughs> or acknowledge is that in terms of, you know, caffeine, alcohol, those pieces that impact using our phones, using screens before bed, um though like those are really those lifestyle pieces um you know shift work kind of your kind of sleep routine at the weekends depending on what you're up to could be completely um throwing you off if you're out till three or four a.m and then you're sleeping until midday and then you're trying to fall asleep on a sunday evening for a big day of work on monday your your sleep cycle is all over the place um so really trying to kind of pull it back and think about the that routine so what i mean by that is thinking about um like bed is for bed for sleep um only and for sex that is it um now i say these things and again knowing that for some people they can use their phone they can put it down beside them and they can fall well and truly into a deep sleep for it's for people that are finding it difficult you need to pull everything back and really think about okay what can I potentially add back in when I've started to have a good night's sleep um so really thinking about okay bed is just for sleeping the one thing that I would say has a really positive impact um is getting up at the same time every morning and that is so hard because again at the weekends if somebody's getting up at 6 a.m during the week they generally probably may not want to get up at 6 a.m um during the weekend but it again it really throws off that balance of kind of trying to get a good night's sleep if you're then shifting it to not getting out of the bed till 10 but wanting to go to bed at the same time or trying to get back into that routine on a sunday night it just throws off um balance i find that the body is so tuned to when you're waking up so even when I want to sleep in on the weekend <laughs> I can't because my body has learned that early morning get up so your body is so intuitive isn't it so intuitive it can learn habits very quickly absolutely yeah. And we have, we have, that is that circadian rhythm that we have. So it's an inbuilt body clock that we have and we crave routine. Even if we don't want it, we crave it. So the more that we can give it, and that just means that potentially if you are getting up at 6am, like try and get up by seven, if you really want to have a bit of a lie in, um, but not really shifting it where you're getting, you're really sleeping in by day. Um, trying to not nap if possible. Um, and again, I say that being, if you really need to nap, take a nap, but try and keep it to 20 minutes, put an alarm on and then physically get up and maybe go for a short walk or something like that. But again, if possible, what you're trying to get is that like sleep drive, that appetite for sleep in the evening. So the longer that you can stay awake and you're getting so tired, all you want to do is close your eyes. That's what you're looking to get. So that if you have a nap, that actually disrupts that. So again, trying to pull back on those things. Um, the other piece is, which people find hard as well and completely understandable, is if you don't fall asleep within 15, 20 minutes, um, get out of the bed. 
So get up, do not use your phone, do not use the TV, laptop screens, things like that. But get up and just fold the laundry, look at a magazine. I don't even know if anybody has magazines anymore, but like a book or something, leave it in the sitting room um, and sit there until you find that you're falling asleep again and then get up and go back to bed so that you're retraining um, your body that actually bed is only for sleep. It is not for me tossing and turning and thinking about the day ahead or thinking about how much more sleep I'm going to get. And we are all guilty if we have a phone near us or a clock or anything like that. If you're having difficulties and you notice that you're waking up in the middle of the night, remove them from the room. If you can't remove them completely from the room, put them so far away from you that you don't wake up. Um, because what I hear a lot um, with clients that I work with is they will tell me that they religiously wake up at like 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. And I'm like, how do you know that you wake up at 2 a.m. and 4 a.m.? It's like, oh, well, I just tap my phone. Like, I don't use it, but I tap my phone um, or I have a clock. And unfortunately, again, it is our body has then become so attuned to I only get maybe three hours sleep. Then I wake up um, and then I stay awake for an hour or two and then I fall back to sleep. So we're in those habits um, without even realizing what we're doing. So yes. trying to remove them if possible. And, and that, that piece either about, you know, if you're lying in bed and, you know, you're not falling asleep and you're like tossing and turning, it almost seems a little bit counterintuitive to get out of the bed because my fear would be, oh, but then it's going to wake me up even more. And then it's going to be even harder to go back to sleep and I return to the bed. So I just kind of tend to stick it out. I'm like, it'll happen. It'll come. I'll fall asleep soon. So, you know, it, I, I can understand it now from what you've said that, but my fear would be that it would kind of like wake me up more. I, but I suppose if you were tossing and turning in the bed, you are actually waking yourself up. You are making yourself more anxious. You're starting to count down how many more hours do I have? If I fall asleep now, what's going to happen? It's like, oh, now I'm awake for the night. Instead, you just embrace it. If I'm awake, I'm just going to get up and I'm going to move to the other room. And I'm only going to come back when I'm kind of sleepy or after a period of time, you're like, I'll give it another go. And then I will see what you're trying to do is shift it so that if for some reason you wake up at 4 a.m. and you're like, I am wide awake and I'm not falling back to sleep, that you try and persevere as much as you can then through the day if you do have to have a tiny nap, it's like before 12, if possible. But what you're trying then is come the following night, you are so tired and that appetite for sleep is there that you've actually reset. Right. Yeah. Okay. And I know that sounds hard, but what will happen, unfortunately, is we, again, it, whatever might be causing us to wake up and kind of rethink the world or solve the world's problems or whatever, or it may be some sort of anxiety that we have that is causing us to wake up in the middle of the night and it's like, oh my God, I'm worrying about this particular thing. But a lot of the time what happens is if we continuously wake up um, or it's happening repeatedly, we then start to get like a sleep anxiety. So it's anxiety relating to going to sleep. It's like, mm -hmm. oh my God, if I wake up in the middle of the night tonight now, I have a big day tomorrow. I'm just not going to be able to function. I'm not going to be at my best. I have that meeting that I have to do. Like, it's just going to be the worst night's sleep ever. Like... <laughs> you're asking to not sleep yeah. um, because you're making yourself more awake than again, trying to relax and unwind and really, you know, you're um, getting your body as physically relaxed as it can in terms of the muscles and also kind of easing your thoughts so that your brain is not becoming more and more alert as you're going to bed. 
and the same with if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like okay I'll try and persevere and that's fine if if you just wake up and you're like oh I'm awake I'll give it a go I'll try and fall back to sleep but if you're persisting and you're tossing and turning and you're starting to get kind of you know beating yourself up yes then it's it's get out of the bed what are your thoughts on um the impact of alcohol on our sleep (laughs) it's a disaster um in short um and I don't mean that like again in all of these things we have to live okay but you just need to be aware that actually it it really negatively impacts on your sleep so it causes it causes that disrupted sleep so what it will do is help us to kind of nearly pass out but generally you will wake up and have a disrupted sleep throughout the night or you might wake up then at 3 a.m and that's when you're generally like wide awake um and i i've heard of a lot of people who actually wake up then and have another drink to actually put them back to sleep because that's that's how their body learns to sleep um but you don't get the quality of sleep that you would get if you actually naturally fall asleep and you have that wind down before bed um and i i know we've all heard like if somebody will say well just have a little drink before you go to bed it will ease the nerves or if you've something coming up it really doesn't work um so just be mindful of that but i know like people drink alcohol um and again some people will drink it and it will not have what they would associate a negative impact on their sleep and that's fine this is for people i suppose that they are finding it difficult they are not getting the quality of sleep that they need to function by day um versus somebody who's like i can you know stay out till 4 a.m and i'm fine on a sunday night and i can use my phone and i can drink alcohol it's not for those people who can just switch it off and fall asleep. It is for somebody who's actually finding it difficult and it's really impacting on the quality of life. Sure, sure. And Emer, I'm aware that, um, you know, there might be people listening to this episode who, again, are on that kind of spectrum. There might be some who are, you know, just slightly struggling and it's, it's affecting a bit of their day to day. And then there might be some who are, you know, really kind of in the depths of despair with lack of sleep. Can you help us understand where should we, where should, what are some of the things that we can do, especially when it comes to, um, and, and I know I've been very guilty of this, is, is, is that element of the anxiety in the bed with the thoughts and um, I know that I myself have tried um, a little bit of challenging with those thoughts to, to see if that mm-hmm. might help. Can you help us understand a little bit more about some of those techniques that we can look at first before we we explore some of the um, professional assistance options? Yeah. So with any of those pieces that are coming up, whether it's thinking about going to sleep or what comes up in the middle of the night, I would start writing them down. Okay. So what is it that is causing you to, you know, have some sort of sleep disturbance or some anxiety related to sleep? Is it something that's happening tomorrow? Something that's happening in your life at the moment? So how do we manage that piece? So just starting to write them down, whether it's like, I think I'm going to get fired or I don't think I'm going to do enough, getting, doing a good enough job. And therefore that's impacting your sleep, which then is impacting your functioning the following day or, is it 
actually, I don't think because of my sleep, I'm really worried that it's impacting on my functioning. It's impacting on my mood, my energy levels, all of those things. Like what is coming up for you and getting them out of your head and writing them down. So sometimes even just having a notepad and pen beside your bed so that if you do wake up and it's like all of these things that you need to be solving in the middle of the night, which generally it's pulling it back and kind of thinking, right, well, I can write down, I need to send that email, but do I need to send it at 3 a.m.? Yes. It's like, can I, do I need to solve this now? Like, can I solve this now? Yes. Or can this wait? Yes. And trying to think about, right, is this going to be solved at 3 a.m.? Yes. Probably not. Um, so just writing it down. So it's very handy just to have a notepad and pen beside you, but also starting to kind of question, okay, like, where is the evidence for this? So actually thinking about fact um, and where when I'm kind of working with people, I try and get them to think about if they're in a court of law, what is the actual facts? Because it might be, well, I feel this might happen or I think this might happen. It's like, okay, well, how many times has it happened? How many times have you been pulled in by your boss in terms of your performance in work because of potentially your sleep or your functioning? How many times have you messed up at a meeting um, or not attended the meeting or what's actually happened yes. whereas yes. a lot of it might be our perception of it and there may be some fact to it but then you're kind of thinking about okay but potentially I can't change that um, but again a lot of the times we if in the evening say we finish work five six o'clock again hopefully finishing work and not still on emails before you go to bed um, to spend a bit of time thinking about like a to-do list for the following day um kind of going through actually is there any concerns that I have but doing it at maybe like six o'clock and not just before bed mm-hmm. so you've you've given your brain an opportunity to kind of offload so that that offload doesn't happen in the middle of the night mm-hmm. when there's nothing else to distract yourself with yeah um and and from, from personal experience you know sleep it's so funny because people always say you know especially if there's something big going on or, you know, there's a decision to be made or you need some time, people will always say, well, sleep on, take the night and sleep on it. And it's funny. I've been, you know, lying in bed um, some nights and I catastrophize. I, I'm sort of that person who thinks of absolute worst case scenario. Possible? No, but I'll still, that's still where my mind will go. End of the world type of scenarios. And then in the morning, hold on, I feel completely different about this now. And it just goes to show you how beautiful a a night's sleep is, that it can actually change the way you think about something. It's like that powerful. It has the ability to do that. So um, that's, and now that I've realized that, I think, oh, hold on, Una. I don't think you're going to feel like this in the morning. So let's just leave it at that. You know, it's it's wonderful. And it is, unfortunately, all of those pieces that pop into our head in the middle of the night where we're wondering what is going to happen in these scenarios that you probably, you know, don't even cross your mind. Or even if they do by day, 
I suppose a lot of it is you're able to rationalize it a lot easier yes. by day as yes. in okay how how likely is that to happen whereas yes. at night unfortunately when we don't have distractions and we're sat there yes. with our thoughts only we yes. kind of go yeah but what if it does happen yes. and that is that catastrophizing where it's just being yes. able to pull it back and as you said okay I'll just park this until the morning and then yes. see if this is something that I need to worry about then maybe what do I do with this exactly exactly Okay, so that's that's one thing that we can do for, for those people who, you know, have a bit of anxiety or they might be overthinking. Um, we've also spoken a little bit about the sleep hygiene and, and bed for sleep only and uh, or for sex. Um, you know, phones or minimizing screen time. Think about your caffeine intake. Um, and so those all sound like very, you know, easy things that we can integrate you know, into our lives in some way or another, if we're sort of, you know, living in a sort of fully functioning home or, you know, we don't share a room with uh, someone in another bed or, you know, that kind of way. What happens then if someone has tried all of these things, given it a really good go and they're still not getting anywhere? that's when you're looking to kind of seek further help. So I suppose now people are not getting access to sleeping tablets, those kind of things that they previously would, but I suppose generally it would be going to the GP because I suppose you're trying to see is the sleep the issue or is the sleep a symptom of the issue? Right. Okay. Um, and again, it's really hard to unpick because it something else may have started it off as a stressor and now the sleep has become the stressor um so it's really hard to kind of unpack what it might be but again if it is persistent you, you need support because you you can't continue like that and just hope that actually it's going to reset itself if it hasn't if you really tried and sat down and kind of thought about your routine and what you do before bed and you know in terms of time in bed and getting up in the morning um that then you need to be reaching out for kind of support and that generally is the GP people tend to go to to make sure there's nothing else going on um, sometimes people will get prescribed medication or sleeping tablets but I suppose now the first kind of protocol is cognitive behavioral therapy for mm -hmm. insomnia if people have persistent um, sleep issues um, and they may get prescribed sleeping tablets for a week or max, probably two weeks alongside that just to reset if they're really struggling. But generally, they will be looking at the cognitive behavioral therapy. So looking at your thoughts in relation to sleep, your feelings in terms of any emotional aspects, stressors, physical sensations that are coming up in terms of tension in the body. And also what are those behaviors that we're doing that may not be helping us in the long run in terms of our kind of um, getting a good night's sleep. Um, so that is generally the recommendation that you would get from a GP. So you'd be probably getting a, a mental health care plan referral um, if you're kind of eligible for that. Um, but there are some CBT online um, programs for insomnia, particularly the one by um, St. Vincent's Hospital. So it's okay. this, this way up. Um, so they have lots of different programs, but there's a particular one for insomnia as well. Um, it's a four-week program that you can kind of go through yourself 
in terms of, you know, actually diarizing what's happening um, and looking at the different factors to see, can you improve that yourself? But if you're really struggling, absolutely reach out um, because you like it is going to have such a long term <laughs> impact if you know what I mean, in terms of all of the functioning, because your exercise, you know, you're not going to get up and do any of the things that you enjoy doing. We tend to not go to the gym. We won't go. We won't get up in the morning. We won't socialize because we're just like, I don't have any energy. Like the last thing I want to do in the evening is go out for dinner with friends Um or even in terms of work, it's nearly that dread of having to go in or interact with people. It's like they're all going to know that I haven't slept or I'm not functioning. Um, and if you're doing that persistently for a long time, it, that in itself is going to have a negative impact on your quality of life as well. Yeah, um, so again, it's everything impacting on the other. So are GPs kind of moving away from medication as much as they can as a treatment option? Absolutely. Yeah. So it would only be like if if you really looked at your lifestyle factors and that is not they cannot find something then it might be the medication to try and reset but they would be referring you as well for cbt for insomnia mm-hmm. um if it's something that has been going on for a while um or they should be referring you anyway that's the kind of the treatment <laughs> uh recommendations and i know also Emer, um Especially as expats, we have uh, the experience uh, more frequently of jet lag than maybe um, other people uh, around the world. And I know for some people, the jet lag can hit them quite badly. And and I know that that is the case in, in my circumstances. And when I know that I'm going to be traveling um, I get some of the medication, the over-the-counter of the medication, mm-hmm. um, and it works to get me asleep, but I do not like the way it makes me feel. I, I find I'm very groggy on it the next day. I don't particularly like how it makes me feel. But because I suppose they're there unregulated, though, should people be kind of cautious as to how much they're consuming of those? Like any of those pieces if you're taking it for a night or you're taking it on a plane or something like that it you know it's a one-off kind of piece yeah but again if you're if you come back and a week later after you've been on a flight you're still struggling with your sleep there's definitely something amiss um and unfortunately really when when the jet lag piece comes in is trying as much as possible i know this is very hard um to try and kind of get on board with the um the kind of time zone that you're you're going into so particularly coming back from Ireland to Australia or wherever you might be um trying to adjust your sleep as much as possible so you know that you're on that time zone so not falling asleep on the plane and then coming in and it's nighttime yeah um, as you arrive so again as much as possible but the thing also is when you're getting up early in the morning so starting the following morning like if you normally get up at six get up at six even if you have taken that day off of work get up and if that means your your eyes or your eyelids are like heavy get up get outside you need the daylight so again that is part of what helps with our kind of regulating our sleep cycle so we need daylight first thing in the morning and then kind of shutting off those lights which is why the phones kind of like um lights tvs laptops things like that 
actually stop us producing that melatonin in the evening, which is that sleepy hormone that we need. So we need to be really woken up first thing in the morning um, to really shift out of it. So we're not in that groggy state. Um, and then as much as possible to try and keep ourselves like outside um, or kept busy so that the, more, the likelihood is if we sit down, we might fall asleep. Um, or if you really need to have a little nap, again, have one early, but really try to make sure that you set an alarm um, because we can easily then just have three or four hours nap in the middle of the day and that's a proper sleep then so it kind of throws us off it's funny because you see so many um like memes on social media about oh you know napping is life kind of thing so I think people really rely on naps and they love you know value their naps um and that is fine if you can sleep at night okay okay so if you get a nap at you know 12 o'clock in the day and you're taking your lunch and you're like I've had my lunch now I'm gonna have a 20 minute nap lovely I'm alert now for the afternoon that's giving me my little boost but I'm still in enough of kind of like sure um a sleep deprived kind of state that by yes. 10 o'clock at night I am ready for my proper sleep that okay. is fine gotcha. but you're not taking a nap at three or four o'clock in the afternoon and then expecting to go to bed at nine or ten sure sure absolutely okay um, and just um, on the circumstances of, say, for example, you know, you're you have a partner and you're sharing a bed with them. And one person can drift off to sleep like that as soon as their head touches the pillow and you think, my goodness, what well, you know, how are they able to fall asleep so quickly? And then the other person is really struggling and there's tossing and turning and you know, you're afraid that you might disrupt the other person's sleep. And I mean, what are the options there? Is it just to sort of maybe remove yourself from, from that bed for a few nights or? Yeah, um, always a difficult one, especially if you're the one tossing and turning um, or kind of especially if you wake up in the middle of the night wanting to kind of smother them with a pillow because they're unconscious and having a great night's sleep. Um, but it is it's trying to think about again if if you're not falling asleep and you normally go to bed at like 10 p.m but you don't fall asleep till midnight don't go to bed till midnight yes yeah yeah I so yeah. and again it's something that you could potentially readjust so if you start to then fall asleep at midnight and your body gets into that routine you can then start pulling it forward by a half an hour yeah but that causes even bigger issues if you're in the bed and you are not sleeping you have to get out yes. of it. So do yeah. not go to bed until you're sleepy. Yeah. Um, so, and again, that is hard. Like if that is something that you're waking up in the middle of the night, again, I would get up. Um, and if, you're, if your partner is well able to sleep, they probably would not back off even if you do wake them up. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you could probably get up, go to the loo, come back and they yeah. probably won't even notice that you've moved, yeah. you've turned on a light or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, it, just to reset so usually if a partner is kind of saying well actually I'd rather you get up and come back four or five different times rather than tossing and turning and you know just being really irritated in the bed beside me um yeah and also if you're probably going to be a nicer human being the following day yes you've yes. had a good night's sleep so yes. it kind of works in their favor as well yes yeah okay okay so I guess um 
the the um, one of the reasons that we wanted to do this episode is because we 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 do want people to understand the importance of sleep, and I suppose you know everyone is generally quite good at making sure they get their exercise a day or they're, you know, they, they're sort of clued into maybe some dietary requirements. And then sleep always seems to sort of, you know, be down there tailing at the end. So it would be great to see sleep as being seen as one of those kind of essential things. You know, people talk about the 10,000 steps a day and the five a day, you know, and, and, and I know that, um, the guidelines is it still around the sort of the eight hours seamer yeah so they say between seven and nine okay Ooh, um <laughs> so if you're but again it's the if you can have it more consistent so seven hours consistently is much better than nine one night yeah. six the next that kind of thing yeah 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 so I guess um, for anyone listening to this, you know, depending on on where you are on the spectrum, there might be some people listening who, you know, just might be having um, some recent issues or there might be some of you listening who have an ongoing problem. Um, you know, it's very important that we acknowledge that we know how difficult that is, you know, and, and we know that how challenging that can feel um, and, you know, we acknowledge the seriousness of, of what you're going through. And Emer, I suppose, sort of final messages or um, final notes on, on what we'd like to leave people with is, you know, that things can improve. Would you they agree? They can, yeah. And I suppose we we all look for the kind of quick fix. And particularly with people who've really been struggling with their sleep, it isn't a quick fix. So it is something that you do kind of have to nearly persevere with for, you know, a week or two or even, you know, a couple more. But you will start to see the benefits of it when you are really prioritizing that kind of routine, that hygiene around it in terms of all of the things, whether it's your diet, your exercise, you know, alcohol, smoking, all of those things that happen in the day Um and how they actually impact. But I do think it's trying to persist with it. And I, I know that again, is so much easier said than done, but it it will it will change. Like your body needs sleep. Mm. Um, but sometimes it, we develop into those kind of disordered nearly sleeping patterns that it's how do we get back out of it? So really, really trying to make an effort with, okay, what? even small changes that I can make, even if it means that I need to seek extra support, is there anything I could be changing um, just in the short term that might potentially shift it? Because I know a lot of people will, whether you start a diet, whether you start exercise, we kind of go Monday morning, going to do it all. It's yes. never the best time, um, particularly with your sleep, because it's like, but I need to get a, a good night's sleep for the week. So generally what I say to people is, can you start maybe on a Wednesday or a Thursday night and really think about if you can't sleep, like don't go to bed until it's midnight. If you're generally falling asleep at midnight and can sleep until five or six o'clock, that's wonderful. Keep doing it that way. So go to bed when you're sleepy, but get up consistently at the same time and trying not to kind of be out all hours over that particular weekend and really trying to get like seven days where or seven nights where you are consistently going to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time, even if that means you're only getting five hours sleep. Okay. But it's consistent. So that kind of quality. Yeah. And our bodies, 
you know, they do so much for us, but, uh, but they're resilient. So once you start sort of integrating some of those patterns and routines, they will, they will come back for you and they will do what you need them to do because they want to do it for you, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, okay. Well, that, that has been so helpful. Um, don't think we've any questions um from the audience but um if anyone does please do either pop your microphone on or pop it into the chat uh emer just quickly emer um, mm-hmm. i was really interested to hear about um how naps should kind of be limited to 20 minutes and i was thinking about <laughs> some cultures that have their siestas and that and how that's really common do they is there health benefits to naps regularly like if they make it part of their routine for that 20 minutes absolutely and again it it's that routine whereas the expectation that most of us can have a nap in the middle of the day depending on maybe whether you're working from home or not um but also most of those kind of people that are or those cultures that are having siestas they generally go to bed much later in the day so they're only having dinner at maybe nine or 10 o'clock at night. And they, the idea of going to bed, you know, particularly in Australia is kind of like around 9 p.m., 10 p.m. Whereas in those Mediterranean kind of countries or depending on where they are, they're probably not going to bed until like midnight. Yeah. Um, so it, again, it just means that they've worked up enough kind of sleep um, debt nearly or kind of that appetite for sleep that it actually works in their favor. And there's enough time between having food and also going to bed because you don't want to have a big um, a big meal, like a huge big meal, and then try and fall asleep because you probably will fall asleep, but you will wake up yes. because your body is still trying to function and digest rather than actually kind of reset and repair for the following day. That's really interesting. I, I was um, quite, I feel lucky after listening to this that I rarely have problems with sleep unless it's some um, stress thing. So yeah, I was nearly concerned. Can you sleep too much? <laughs> and you see, again, it is so dependent because some people can absolutely, they could have two hours in the middle of the day. And if they were to go to bed at 9pm, they can sleep until, you know, five or six o'clock in the morning and there's not a bother on them. But for some people, they're just not able to do that. And it's when when we try and compare, particularly when some people are like, oh, my God, these people are able to have naps and then they're able to fall asleep. And they're like, I'm not able to even go to bed when it's midnight. And I'm you know what I mean? I'm still struggling. Those are the people that were really trying to kind of reset where naps, then you're, you're sleeping by day and you're not sleeping by night. So if you're sleeping by night and you benefit from having a nap in the middle of the day and you get that little reset and, you know, you're you've more energy and you're ready to go again. Wonderful. But again, it doesn't work for everybody. And that's where it becomes a problem if people are catching up on their sleep debt in the middle of the day and they're not getting it at night. And just one last question. Is there. Is it like a, a hereditary thing? Like, can it be in your families? Like my mom always jokes, like if she went to bed at 10 p.m., she'd wake up at 5 a.m. So she her body needs a set amount of hours and it, it's actually a disadvantage um, for her to go to bed early. Um, whereas she always like says, my dad said of the family, like, oh, you're you are all like him. You could just sleep like on demand. Like I sleep in planes, no problem without sleeping tablets like I'm. 
I'm very fortunate. Like, is it something or is it just person by person? So we we all tend to have different kind of times where nearly that sleepiness hits in. Um, so for some people, you will hear that they will be like more alert and they kind of want to do more things the later on, you know, it could be 11 o'clock at night, whereas somebody else is like, dear God, if it's not 10 and I'm not in bed, you know, I'm going to be really feeling the impacts of it. But again, a lot of it is habit. So if you're used to, and particularly maybe with your mom, if she's like used to getting up at 6am or whatever time it might be, it, she naturally pulls it back. So depending on what time you're normally getting up at, that will probably impact also on what time you need to go to bed at. Um, so it, there is an element of it's, it is your personality. It's not necessarily completely genetics, um, but it is certain times we will find that we peak as in we get more alert in the evenings whereas other people are very much like that is happening in the middle of the day and it's just trying to find that balance for people and generally it's not a sleep issue per se we will find what works for us so again somebody who falls asleep at midnight will just probably get up at 7 a.m or 8 a.m whereas somebody who goes to bed at probably 10 or 9 will probably get up that little bit earlier yeah brilliant thank you Right. Okay, um, Emer, look, thank you so much. You obviously are very interested in this topic. I and love it. <laughs> I'm so happy that you are. I think we need to spread this message far and wide. Um, so well done to you. And I know you're doing great work um, working with, with people with, with all sorts of um, difficulties. So um, Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and some great takeaway tips for people there. Um, I will also put the resources that you mentioned with the CBT. I'll put those in the show notes so people can access them if they so wish. Um, and thank you, um, everyone who joined us this evening. And um, we look forward to seeing you for our next Dopus episode in November. Thanks for tuning in everyone and we hope that you enjoyed the episode. Please don't forget to rate and review so more people can find us. Until next month.